if you will open your Bibles tonight to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. We'll read verses 8 through 13. That is Hebrews, chapter 8, verses 8 through 13. And it reads as follows. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I shall no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Please be seated. We're happy to have everyone with us this evening. Very grateful for your presence. Thank you, Scott, for reading our scripture and Stan for leading us in our singing. And and Nat, thank you for that very sincere prayer. We're happy to introduce to us tonight uh, Brother Don Hatch. Brother Don, we're very happy that you're with us. Thank you for coming. And uh, we're very grateful for the Beltline Congregation Irving to uh, borrow you this evening. And we're very happy that you've safely come our way and made your way to Tyler, Texas, the jewel of East Texas. And we're very happy that you're with us tonight. I've told this story before, and I'll tell it very quickly again. I wrote him an email message, and I told him, I said, we want you to kick off the, uh, uh, open, the forum for us and speak for us Sunday night. Only I didn't write kick off. I wrote keep off. And so he wrote me back and said, what does keep off mean? And I said, well, it meant kick off which is a football term, that means get it started. So, Don, we're going to have you get it started for us tonight. I want you to know that we love you, we respect you, we're grateful for you and your wonderful work. And we want you to know that you're speaking to a congregation of people that loves God and loves God's Word. And so we ask you tonight, Don, teach us God's Word. I never can get one up on Jim. I've tried for years. Uh, He is a dismal man. I love him. And uh, I thought that was so funny. I just wanted to know uh, how to keep off from what I was supposed to speak on. But anyway, uh, it was a laugh between us, and I enjoyed it. My job this evening is to preach the word. And so, I'm going to spend a little time in the book of Hebrews with you. There's some things that are preemptive. You need to go to the verse of uh, Hebrews chapter 1, where it said, God of old times, divers manners, spoken days past to the prophets, to the father by the prophets, but as these last days spoken to us by his son. Now, when you put that into our terms, we know that the Old Testament is full of 300 or more 
great prophecy about the coming of the Lord. Starts in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where he's pledged to come, and it goes all the way through to Malachi, where John the baptizer is going to be the harbinger for the Lord. But if you read a little bit further, you're going to find that this one is the express image of God. And then there's a comparison. The question is, which of the angels did he, that is God, say, this day thou art my son? The answer is to none. A none could fulfill the role that Christ was going to fulfill. You see, he had to be two things. As our propitiation, he had to be both God and man. In the book of John, the first chapter, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. There was not anything made that wasn't made by, and it's going to tell you that Jesus Christ was there. The Jesus account said, God said, and he said, let us make man in our image. So it's a plural us. It's speaking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Join there together to create us. The first was created from the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils. He became a living soul. And they took from him the rib that he made the woman. And from that point on, mankind began to go down through the streams of time. And as you read about them, you find... Uh, they did a miserable job of serving God. And so in that misery, in that sorrowful way, they had to repent of their sins. What were they going to do? How would they expunge from themselves the things that they did? You find that they murdered, they lied, they cheated, they went off into a marriage that was wrong, uh, taking a second wife and those kind of things. It was just really something to see. So, none of the angels were asked to be the Son of God, and to be the Savior for the world, only Jesus. Now, you need to remember Ephesians chapter 1. Before there was time, before there was a world, these three, the Godhead, spoke. They spoke to each other, and they laid a plan out. The plan had a purpose, and the purpose was when men sinned, then they knew that man was given the auspices, or at least the opportunity, uh, to make a free moral choice. And they could see the future as well as the past. Time is nothing to our God. He lives in eternity. So they made a plan that Jesus Christ would redeem man. So in the second chapter it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we heard, lest happily we drift away from them. For if every word spoken by angels proves steadfast, and every transgression receives a just recompense, a recompense reward, how shall we escape and neglect so great a salvation which was first spoken by the Lord, then confirmed us by the inherit, and God bore witness with that what signs and wonders and manifold gifts. I'm sorry my throat's a little rough tonight. I got up this morning and I was doing fine. And I'll take care of it tonight and tomorrow morning I'll be chirping like a bird or uh, squawking like a vulture. I'm not sure. In this text, it says that uh, God had a plan. He had a plan for us to know his word. He showed it to us from the Lord. His apostles were his witnesses. And then God said, look at all I'll do. I'll work miracles and wonders and signs and all those things to prove that Jesus is my son. Now, if you read the rest of the chapter, a kind of an interesting thing takes place. You're going to find that it said in this chapter that God was going to help the children of Abraham, but he would not help an angel. That's an interesting point. You see, 
Abraham had a pledge. When you read the book of Hebrews 11, chapter, you find all that pledge. And uh, he lived to the best of his ability. God blessed him with a son. And then he blessed him throughout the ages. You and I, when we're baptized, become heirs with Christ and heirs of Abraham. So in this passage, it said that God helps us. That's us. probably one of the major points of this book. God helps us. He doesn't leave us on our own. He's not just going to scatter us to the wind and let us just perish. He wants us to know that he loves us. The third chapter is a, a faithful chapter as well. It has to do with the fact that there was a man named Moses, and he built a house. And the building of the house and the thing is found here, a thing called dispensation. Do you know what dispensation is? It's a period of time under which we live, or they lived, under a law. They lived under Mosaic law. We live under the law of Christ. And this chapter is going to say that Christ is greater than Moses. You know, for a Hebrew to hear that, it must have been astonishing. It's astonishing to me to believe that Moses was this great man that received the law and led the children of Israel and did all those things for them and all that. And then Christ built a greater house. The house was built without hands. It's us. So now we're the house of God. And that's a blessing that we need to really think about and ponder because it's important to us. As you move through this, you're going to find that there's a little interesting thing to take place. And that is, it says, Today, hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the days of provocation. And then he tells you all what the provocation was. Hardening heart, not willing to accept God and not willing to yield ourselves to God, is a terrible thing. Now, when you read the next chapter, it said, Let us fear less happily, a promise left to us through the Lord Jesus Christ and through God. We don't enter to the rest of God. You remember God built by speaking the universe, the earth, and all the things into existence. It's called ex nihilo. And it's going to say here that we need to really understand that God wanted us to do the things he had in mind because we're his creatures. He's going to sustain us. He's going to love us. He's going to provide for us. But there's something we need to do. We need to be faithful. He can't just say, well, I know you tried to live good, but you didn't. I know you lied, you stole, you killed, you committed adultery, and all those kind of things that go across the board in the book of Galatians. Now, when they read this, this was to warn them that he sworn his wrath. Now, we oftentimes look at the God of the Old Testament, and people are afraid of him. But you know the same God that was there is here. He hasn't changed. And so he swore in his wrath. If you do what you're doing and continue to persist in that, you won't enter to my rest. Now, where's the rest? I like the book of Luke. It explains it probably better than any other book. <clears throat> in the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, there's a time when, when we're going to see a man who was a pulper. He laid at the gate. He was covered with sores. The rich man came out and he looked at him and went on his way. All that man wanted was a crumb from the table. He died. The rich man died. Do you remember what happened after that? Oh, there's pomp and pageantry for the rich man. But the, the poor man, they just threw him away. But while they were throwing away the body, the angels took that soul 
to a special location where Abraham is. He went to the bosom of Abraham. That's where the angels carried him. Now, we've talked about Abraham. We've seen God bless him, giving him promises and things like that. Now, here we are when we're baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. We become heirs of the promise of Abraham. The promise that God is going to take him. And you need to read the book of Hebrews again. They didn't look for an earthly city. They looked for a heavenly vista, a place where they could go and be. And when you read about Abraham in the book of Hebrews 11, chapter, you find that's what they, they could do. They could have gone back to the country they came out of, but that wasn't where they wanted to go. They looked for a city. They looked for a place. And God sent Abraham ahead of us. So now, remember that because it's going to be an important point. Chapter 5 takes us into a region that we really need to understand. We, according to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 6 through 10, are priests in the kingdom of Christ. Now, this is going to be all about priesthood. He's going to talk about Abraham who was a priest, the sacrifice that they offered, all those kinds of things went on. And then he's going to say, I made a pledge to my son. This day, thou art my son, but greater than that, you're a priest at the order of Melchizedek. Now, we don't know much about Melchizedek. We know in the book of Hebrews that Abraham took his 300 men, went out, brought back a lot. They fought the five kings they won. And on the way back, they met this man. And Abraham gave him a tithe because he was greater than Abraham. The Lord, our Savior, is going to become a priest at the order of Melchizedek. And in seeing that, he's going to tell us that we need to understand all the things that God had pledged. So when we become priests, we become priests under our high priest, Jesus Christ. Now, when you get down in verse 11, it says something that everyone ought to listen to and everyone ought to think about. It says, we have many things hard to say. The reason is because they're hard to interpret. More than that, you're hard-hearted. You don't want to receive what is said. You want God to just lavish his blessing upon you, but you don't pause and think about what it costs. The effort you must put into it. So I said, there's a time when you should be a teacher. But what you're doing is becoming one that needs to be taught again. The first principles of the oracles of God, the rudiments. And so he tells us that those are being taught again, those goo-goo things that we learned as a child. Uh, there's something about us. It says you don't know right and wrong. You can't make a judgment about good and bad. And so this passage is all about the fact that we grow and mature and increase and we serve God with knowledge. The sixth chapter is all about the same thing. It's going to tell you that there's a time when we understood what the, well, did you know there are baptisms in the Bible? Everybody, we always think about only one baptism. And that's the truth about how to get into God. But there's the baptism of the Pharisees. There's John's baptism. And even our Lord baptized during his ministry. But now there's only one baptism. That baptism is baptized in water for the mission of sins in a name. The name Jesus Christ. So this chapter is going to warn you and tell you sobriety, character, all those things are important. The seventh chapter is back to Melchizedek. It's a great text. It has to do with all the things that God had in mind for us to learn, to understand. 
And when you get down into verse 17, it says, Thou art a priest forever at the order of Melchizedek. How long is forever? How long will it be till there is no more time? How long will it be till Jesus comes back? Until that, the church, as she goes through history, continues to have people that serve as priests. Do you remember what the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, told you? You're to take your body and offer it as a, do you remember the word? Living sacrifice. You ought to know what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God is. So in this chapter, it's going to let us understand and see that there's some things we need to do and we ought to pledge ourselves to it. Now in this, he's going to tell us about some things we know already. And that is that Moses uh, appointed his brother as a high priest. His brother served for a time. And then another one took his place, Eliezer. And then on with the story. So when you get down to the end of it, it says that the law appointed high priest having infirmities. Isn't that amazing? God knew. God saw. God dealt with it. He dealt with it in a magnanimous way. And we're going to see now what happens. In this eighth chapter, we're going to find that Moses was going to build a tabernacle. God told him how to do it. He told him exactly how to do it, and he couldn't change a single thing. He couldn't say, well, you know, this hallway needs to be wider, Lord, because after all, we've got a candelabra here. We've got the shoe bed over here. I can't stay away from that mic. Uh, we've got this over there. Uh, he was told how to build it, and he built it. Now, here's what happened. Moses saw something that he built it from. He saw a heavenly vista. And the ninth chapter of this book, our Lord's going to go there. You know, people wonder, how did this blood became effective for us? He went into the holy place. And then to the holy place in heaven. And God accepted his sacrifice. Redemption for us all. So now, in the eighth chapter, it's going to tell you some things I think you need to see. Let's go there. In verse 8, Behold, the day cometh, saith the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with them, I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they didn't continue it. Isn't that amazing? That God endured that and let them do that. He really didn't. You see, God's a righteous God. And people have to comply to his will or be cut off. We'll say the same thing in the book of Acts, the third chapter. Remember the book of Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter? Uh, it's quoted there. Moses said that God was going to raise from the people of Israel uh, a prophet like unto him. He said you have to listen to him. You have to comply with his will or be utterly cut off from the people of God. It's not a threat. It's a pledge by our God. He wants us all to live right. So in this passage, it said, there was a house of Israel, and God made a covenant with them. They broke it. And then he goes on saying, I regarded them not. Now, you hear in our time something that I think you need to think about. Many of our people are uh, crossing over. They're going into denominationalism. They're using denominational phrases. <clears throat> They're doing crazy things. 
and they think they're pleasing to God. Listen to what this said. When they didn't follow God, God was not pleased. And in the course of this, you're going to say, uh, they broke that covenant. But now I'm going to do something. He said, I want to make sure that you know. So I'm going to put my law in your heart. You can't become a Christian by accident. I have a lady that wants to be baptized. She has brain cancer. And she's going to have surgery at the 26th. She doesn't know whether she'll survive the surgery or not. Her mother had been a member of the Christ uh, for many years, the body of Christ. And now her daughter, after thinking over for years now, is wanting to be baptized. And the question that she had was, am I making a deathbed confession? I said, I don't know. I don't know whether you're going to die or not. But it's good you made a choice. It's good you're thinking about this. And so in this passage, it's simply saying that God's going to put his law in your heart. And more than that, he's going to write it on your mind. The story that I heard from Tennessee was years ago, there was an old judge. And he came to this area as a circuit judge. He used to ride his old mule up there. He got in the courtroom and he sat down and racked on that hardwood and said, this court is in process. He said, uh, I need the first witness. The man came up there. He said, where's your Bible, fellow? He said, we don't have a Bible in this uh, hall. He said, well, go get one. So we're not going to go down through the holler and across the creek and over to the church building to get one. We got one right here. This young man is a member of the Church of Christ. He got the Bible in his mind and his heart. You put your hand on him and swear by that. That's what God had in mind. That you and I would be the fourth witch and the caring forth and the doing and the knowing. We became people of the book. And we've lost that maybe along the way. I mean, when I first started preaching, uh, boy, uh, people wanted to know. They wanted to use book, chapter, and verse. They wanted to know where they got it from and how it came there. God wants you to know. So in this passage, he said, Israel didn't continue, so I'm making a new covenant. The covenant is that you'll know what I want. But when it comes to the point, he said, you won't have to say to your neighbor or to another member of the body of Christ, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. That's why I think it's so important to have Bible classes on graded levels. Little kids going there, I remember when my children were young, my daughters had one of those cradle rolls, those circular tables, and she sang those songs. And she knew them, and I mean those kids could sing at the top of their voice. They knew more about God when they're three and four years old than you know, some adults when they're 40 years old. And they grew in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They wanted to be learning. They wanted to learn. I remember my wife said, hours making cutouts and doing all those things to give those kids. So when they went away, they could sing the songs. Came time for vacation Bible school. You ever remember those kids marching in the army of the Lord, shooting the artillery, flying a plane? They learned those things, and it thrilled them that they were part of the house of faith and part of the great army of God. Now, he says, I'm going to tell you that you won't have to ask your fellow neighbor or your brother, know the Lord. Then he says something so very important. And I'm just going to check it out. I want you to pause and answer in your mind. When was the last time you memorized some scripture? 
Don't get mad at me. But when was the last time you went down to the scriptures and you read it and you said, I need to have this in my heart and in my mind. It's something uh, valuable. And we don't need to guess the scriptures. I mean, when I was a young Christian, I used to carry a Bible right here. Of course, behind that Bible was a pack of lucky strikes. I didn't know the difference. I remember that a fellow came to preach in uh, Odessa, Texas. He uh, came in, we was all standing outside smoking. He walked right on past us. He didn't say a word to us. He went up and sat down in the front pew, and nobody could get him to talk. He looked at him, and he got up and he said, I just passed by the altar of the known tobacco. Lucky Strike, Paul Mall, Chesterfield. He said, you heathens, you ungodly pagans, what are you carrying those things around? Why? Don't you know that you've got fire in one end and a fool on the other? You're burning out your throat. You're burning out your lungs. And you know you are. You know what? didn't take me long to get that cigarette out of my pocket. And I quit. It took me some time. I mean, wow, I had to struggle with that. But the worst struggle was I also chewed tobacco. I never dripped it down with tea on my shirt. Why? I never did it around my wife, and I never did it around a woman, but I sure chewed with the best of them. Now, that was hard. What I'm saying is uh, that when that word grabbed me, and I memorized the fact that I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that I don't want to despite for him. He also in the sermon said, you know who you're blowing smoke in the face of? That spirit that's within you. He said, you insult him every breath. You insult him every time. And so this passage says, they'll know. God's going to do something. And I want you to think about this because it's important for you. God's going to be merciful to your iniquities. Now, that doesn't mean you can continue them. Because the book of Romans still says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we continue in sin? We can't. We know that. In fact, in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, beginning verse 16, it tells you. It says, these are the works of the flesh. Those are despicable, reprehensible things. And so we know we can't do that. When you get down to verse 22, it says you have love, joy, peace, long suffering, the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes we say fruits is really not. It's just one fruit. So he goes on this text and said, God be merciful, and their sins will I remember. That isn't the end of the sentence. No more. Now you need to read the book of 1 John. The first chapter of 1 John, there's five verses that talk about fellowship with God, fellowship with the apostles, fellowship with each other. It's just wonderful. But then God reminds us we need to confess our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from our sins. God can cleanse us. When we make foolish decisions, he can take them away. He can admit them. But when I first read that, it was a tremendous burden lifted. Because I kept going around thinking God has a ledger. Here's a page over here that has all my bad stuff. Here's a page over here that has my good stuff. It's almost blank. But uh, I just kept thinking, is this one day going to come in judgment and say, there you are, Don. Look at all those things you thought. Look at all those things you did. Look at all that. 
But that isn't what happens. He forgives and forgets. So that's the reason, he says, I'll be merciful to their iniquities and their sins will remember no more. And he said, a new covenant. He had made the old one age and passing away and the new one strong in our life. I want to say some more, but I have to stop. I just want to come to that chapter. I want you to think about it. Do you need to have God forgive you of your sins? Now, I ask that in, uh, because I'm a guest speaker. I can look you in the eye and say, shame on you, and I know what you've done. I say, shame on you, and not what you did. I, I know what people do. I know the conversation we have. Sometimes we're backbiters. Sometimes we destroy a reputation. Uh, sometimes we do this or that or something else. And we'll say, well, that's not bad. And then you realize that's not gone. It's still there. The land's book of life cannot abide to sin. So you need to take care of that. You need to look at your life and say, I know I've done that. If it's a private sin, you go where you pray. I pray by the side of my bed. I pray in my car. I used to run around the field, and he asked me, he said, do you close your eyes when you pray? <laughs> I said, no. He said, I'm glad because you're driving. But uh, there's this uh, wonderful thing about praying. You can pray anywhere. You can have a great joy in saying, Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, I just got mad with that man that cut me off of the corner, and I despise him. And I, I want to quit that. We have road rage. I've been guilty of it. Or how about this? Somebody do something that's really annoying to you. You used to have a teacher that he could not stand anybody to click a ballpoint pen when he was teaching. Well, he'd tell us that. And he said, I will not forgive. <laughs> I'm a merciless God. I will not forgive you. So he waited for a while, and Halloween came. You remember those big clickers? Clack, clack, clack. We got some of those, and the guy over here went clack. He looked over there, but he couldn't tell who it was. Somebody went clack, and he went through the uh, whole class. And he just broke down and said, I forgive you. <laughs> but our God is uh, not laughing at us. He loves us. He wants us to be. He gave his son. He did everything to make sure we know what to do. So if you have a private sin, go where you pray and get rid of it. Just take it out of your life. If there's someone that you've detested for years, why not make up? Why not go and apologize? Why not get it over with? Why would you want to carry that to their day of judgment? Unprepared to meet your God. The third thing is this. Not only do you know, but you need to increase in your knowledge. I ask you a question. How long has it been since you memorized the Scripture? You see, the thing I found as I got older, I had to work harder at it. And I had to do things I used to didn't do. I mean, when I first became a Christian, I used to carry my Bible in my hand and I'd walk up and down trying to memorize Scripture because I knew that teacher was going to ask me what that was. 
And I remember that I made a ring. It was a big old thing. Did you all ever deliver papers? Remember those rings that the paper boys had? That's what I had. And all the scriptures I had to memorize. I still do that. I still take time to make sure that this is in my heart. This is in my mind. This is governing my life. This is what I want to be and this is how I want to be. And I need to have the Word of God there to, to shield me and protect me and you know, give me care and con, consignment of my life. So the last point is this. If it's a public thing, what should you do? Suppose the brethren know about it. We used to have a fellow. I knew him, but I didn't know him. He taught girls baseball. He loved to play baseball. I mean, he wanted his kids to win. He would push them beyond limits with curse words. He'd call them dirty names and say foul things to them. and everything. Everybody in the community knew that. Sunday morning, he'd come in with his piety on. And he'd say, I want to study the Bible with you. In a Bible class. It didn't last very long after I found out about it. You don't have someone like that teaching the Scriptures. A guest will come in. People will come in and visit. Others will know about it. The community will say, come on down and, and let me teach you the Word of the Lord. And they say, oh, is that where he's at? That's what you have to be careful for. To have your influence right engaged by God. So, as your guest speaker... I'm saying definitely you better do something about it before. You know, did you know you don't know how long it's going to be until you die? Just the other day, a man reminded me of a thing that happened years and years ago. I hadn't thought about it. We were having a gospel meeting. Guy in Woods was preaching. And he did a marvelous job. Oh, he just was uh, right on the point. And as he taught... I watched a young boy back in the back kind of, and he turned to this one. He wasn't paying a lick of attention. He didn't want to hear what he had to say. That old man doesn't have anything that's for me. He stepped out of the building into the street. He found out Guy in Woods was right. Because he stepped across into eternity in a blinding minute. We don't know, do we? And so I'm asking you, as you go into this forum, as you go out and tell people, come, be a part of us, enjoy the things that are going on, let your influence influence them. But if your influence isn't influential, why not take care of it this very night? We're going to stand and sing. Won't you come?